Support for MPB comes from the Woodward Hines Education Foundation's Get to College program. Based in South Haven, Jackson, and Ocean Springs, Get to College advisors help students and families plan and pay for college. Learn more at woodwardhines.org. Good morning. It's 8.30 on Friday, April 20th. I'm Karen Brown, and this is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. On today's show, Mississippians can weigh in on the paradox of pot. Details on a federal comment period about the drug and its use. Then find out how a financial literacy competition is putting Mississippi students to the test and why their teachers say the lessons provide skills for life. And we'll hear from Mississippians using their gifts and talents to give honor, create change, and feed the soul. That's all coming up. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. The federal government wants Mississippians' input on marijuana. The U.S. Food and Drug Administration is asking the public to submit comments about marijuana. Topics include substance abuse, medical use, and trafficking marijuana or its compounds. These comments will be submitted to the World Health Organization as they consider whether to recommend certain international restrictions on the drug. Republican Senator Josh Harkins of Rankin County sponsored a bill that is now state law in favor of patients' access to a particular kind of marijuana oil, which is still being developed. He tells MPB's Ashley Norwood about the study. This will be the first FDA-approved clinical study using CBD oil uh, that I know about, and uh, I think that's what's exciting about it is the opportunity to give parents another option with their children, and it has shown some uh, effect on kids throughout the country, and I think a good you know, scientific-based study of this is what is is warranted to help you know alleviate some of the concerns and but more importantly to give parents another option is there a date or a time that you expect it will be available uh i'm hearing that they are very close uh you know i don't dare not guess a date but i I think that they're i've been assured that it's relatively close so uh, i'll wait for the hospital to announce when date specific they're going to begin the clinical trial, but uh, I think they've they've got everything lined up. They're just waiting for the clearance from the uh, from the feds. So, what do you say to people who don't agree with this new trial or, or with that option being available? People who may think that this could be um, a turn in people having access or trying to get that type of marijuana and use it for things outside of medical use. Well, I would I would say first off they they need to educate themselves on what CBD oil is. The law we passed strictly prohibits uh large amounts of THC from being in it. So there's there's no street value to it. You can't get high from it. So I mean, I you know, it would be like going and robbing a a convenience store and stealing a bunch of old duels to go get drunk. It just doesn't work. For me, this is a scientific issue. This is a scientific argument. This is not a moral issue. Uh, there are certainly drugs that are legal right now that are way more harmful uh, than what we know about uh, CBD oil. So I think this is why we do this. We're doing it in a controlled setting. We're doing it under some strict guidelines for this clinical study, and I think it's the appropriate and the, and the smart way to proceed. The Libertarian Party of Mississippi says the government should not limit access to marijuana to medical patients. Denise Cranford is chair of the Mississippi Libertarian Party. She tells MPB's Ashley Norwood the regulation should be focused on opioids. 
I get angry about it because it's it's a plant. There shouldn't be any more restriction on me planting a tomato tree outside, a little tomato bush. There really should not be any difference. It is just a plant. And hemp is not even, it's a cousin to marijuana. You can't smoke it. It has so many benefits. To, to our everyday life, from clothing to housing to medicinal purposes itself and food. Why should people go, oh, but hemp is bad. People get high. No, they can't get high off of hemp. No. And I don't see any reason that the government should be involved in it. They're way too involved in our private life anyway. I know in that FDA um, comment section, they're asking people to talk about the abuse of of marijuana or the potential abuse of it. Do you have any thoughts about that? I think they need to be more worried about pharmaceuticals, opiates. I think that's where they need to focus on because people actually can get off opiates with marijuana. It's safer. All right, Denise Cranford, Mississippi Libertarian Party Chairman, thank you so much. Thank you, honey. The FDA's invitation to comment expires on Monday, April 23rd. More information is available at regulations.gov. Coming up, find out how a financial literacy competition is putting Mississippi students to the test and why their teachers say the lessons provide skills for life. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. Informative MPB news stories, the local shows you love, up-to-date severe weather info, and the state and worldwide reach telling the story of Mississippi. You're listening to MPB Think Radio. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. I'm Karen Brown. Mississippi educators are working to improve financial literacy in the state by teaching students the fundamentals of building wealth. The Mississippi Council on Economic Education and the State Treasurer's Office sponsored the State Finance Challenge for middle and high school students. The competition tests what they've learned about financial literacy. Amy Rummage teaches financial literacy and entrepreneurship at Northwest Rankin Middle School in Flowood. She tells MPB's Desiree Frazier why they participate. We just think it's so important. I think Mississippi is um, probably one of the lowest states on financial literacy, and we feel like it is important for our students to realize at a young age, eighth grade, how much things cost and how important credit is, how important it is to save money, and how important it is to invest in your future. And these are things that maybe sometimes some of um, the parents don't even understand, and maybe they can go home and even pass that information on to their parents. And you also promote entrepreneurship. Yes, we do. Absolutely. We think it's important, especially in the state of Mississippi, for um, students to look at that as an option. When they are in, again, when eighth grade, they're still young, it seems like the only thing that they want to do or that's in their mind is doctor or lawyer. You know, that's pretty much it in their minds. And so we want them to know that there's more than just that as far as options out there. There's different options. And I always tell my students, you can be and do anything that you want to. You can succeed at anything, but that's going to take hard work and dedication. Everything hinges around financial literacy. It does. Everything hinges around financial literacy. And also, I think that um, it's something that we have to continue to do. You know, I can't. we can't just do this in the eighth grade and never talk about it again. It's something that has to be continued 
being new throughout high school, and it's something that the students need to continue learning about every single year. I believe this is one of the most important things that I teach, and I tell them at the beginning of the unit, if you don't remember anything that you learned in the eighth grade, remember this. Northwest Rankin teacher Amy Rummage, Srinithi Lakshmi Narayanan, is an eighth grader at Germantown Middle School in Gluckstadt. She tells our Desiree Frazier the challenge is a good competition. I think it helps stimulate many minds to learn more about finance. It's a very important topic, and it's important to know how to save, and it really helps with this challenge. It helps people learn more about how to save and budget. What is your challenge? What are you working on with the group? Well, we're working on creating a budget right now, and we're trying to create this budget for a group of friends. And tell us, uh, what's the problem? Do they have problems with their finances? Yes, this person has problems with saving. This person does not save very well. So we're trying to cut some of the excess wants in order to stimulate savings. How do you do that? Well, there are certain topics and areas where you don't need a lot. Say, clothing, food, are all needs and rents. You need to have to pay for them. But extra things such as movies, um, games and all those other stuff are wants. Cutting out most of the wants or things that are not necessary will help saving and it will help improve a financial situation. For this friend that you're working up a a plan for, what are you going to tell them about their wants? Because it's hard for some of us to put off our desires for later. I would tell that person that there are wants that are free, like going to the park, hanging out with friends in a park or a public area has no cost, but it still continues your social life. There's not always, there's always a solution. There's always a second path. I would tell that person to satisfy their wants without hurting their financial status. Do you find that that's hard for children to do? I do. Children want the newest thing on the market, toys, budgets. Of course, it takes some stimulation by their parents or others they care about. As I was younger, I wanted a lot of things, too, as a child. But, you know, my parents told me to stop and, you know, tell that there are other things I could get for cheaper, but they would satisfy my wants still, and that's what affects me today. Well, thank you so much. I enjoyed speaking with you. Thank you, ma'am. Germantown 8th grader Srinithi Lakshmi Narayatham. Selena Schwarzhager, Selena Schwarzhager is president of the Mississippi Council on Economic Education. She tells MPB's Desiree Frazier Mississippians need to find ways to save. Unfortunately, um, from studies that have been done, we're close to the bottom. And my own personal opinion on that um, is that it is highly um, aligned with the level of poverty that we have in our state. Um, because if you don't have money to manage you know, um, you don't have money to manage, and it's hard to create wealth when you're living in a level of poverty. So um, from that regards, what my job is to do is to help young people who will very soon be adults uh, to help them best know how to increase their earning potential so that they can dig out of these holes that so many of our population is in Um, Now, having said that, just because you have money doesn't mean you don't need this training as well because you can have a six-figure income and go bankrupt because you don't know how to manage your dollars. When you look at the survey, where are the problems? What's the pitfalls that many Mississippians are finding themselves in? 
they don't have money saved for emergencies. And so we all have emergencies. Um, and when, you know, the tire blows on the car and you can't afford to replace it, but you need your car to get to work, that's a problem. And then when somebody gets ill, I mean, even if you have insurance, you have a deductible that you have to meet, and then there's, you know, your, your copay. So when you don't have a nice emergency fund set up, it's just really easy to become victim of bad luck, you know, and it doesn't have anything to do with what type of person you are. If you don't have money saved up for emergencies, it's very easy to find yourself in trouble. What do you recommend people do in terms of savings? How much should they have on hand? They say three to six months of expenses should be saved in your emergency fund. And then once you reach that point, then you can start paying off your debts that you have. But save money before you pay off your debts? I would say yes, because you can be in the process of paying off your debts and then something else bad happens. And then you, you know, it's like one step forward, two steps back. So let's get our emergency funds set up first. You know, and then sometimes the answer is we need to increase our income. Maybe we're already living <laughs> so so bare. You know, we don't we really don't have anywhere that we can cut expenses, and that can be done either by additional education, which helps you get a better job and increase your salary. Maybe it's an entrepreneurial venture. Mississippi is very strong in its entrepreneurial people. And so think about what are some things that you can do that's not going and punching a clock and getting a paycheck, but maybe I can do this on the side and I can make extra money that way. Council on Economic Education, Selena Svartzvager with our Desiree Frazier. April is Financial Literacy Month. Coming up, we'll hear from Mississippians using their gifts and talents to give honor, create change, and feed the soul. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. Support for MPB comes from the Woodward Hines Education Foundation, committed to helping more Mississippians obtain post-secondary credentials, college certificates, and degrees that lead to employment. More information about Woodward Hines Education Foundation at woodwardhines.org. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. I'm Karen Brown. A Mississippi artist is getting national attention for his latest work, which pays tribute to Barbara Bush. The former first lady passed away on Tuesday. Political cartoonist Marshall Ramsey's illustration shows the Bush family matriarch reuniting with her daughter, Robin, who died from leukemia at an early age. Ramsey tells MPB's Mark Rigsby he thought about more than politics when he prepared to draw. When I sat down to come up with the idea, I actually approached it as a father, not as a cartoonist. It makes sense. Because I thought about her life, and I thought, you know, all these great things that she's done, and, you know, all the colorful things about her, and her wit, and her, you know, her loyalty, and her her stubbornness, and everything else. But I thought, you know, she also lost a child. And I remember reading that article not really that long ago, and she's lost a three-year-old to leukemia. And I think that's probably every parent's worst nightmare is to, uh, to outlive their child. So, I said, you know, she's healed. So that was kind of where I went with the cartoon idea. And it was sometimes cartoon ideas I have to think about and work at and sweat over. And sometimes they just literally come from above. And I think this was one of those ideas that just kind of popped into my head. And I went ahead and sketched it up. And I did a couple others, you know, just to give my editor a little bit of a variety. But, you know, he knew it. I knew it. That was the idea. Describe the cartoon for our listeners. Sure. Basically, Barbara Bush is walking into uh, heaven, 
and there's a little girl running toward her, and Barbara Bush is, is yelling, Robin, with, you know, hearts, like, in a loving way, and the little girl says, Mama, and that's it. It's just that simple. What kind of response have you gotten from the Bush family and the general public? Uh, the Bush family, uh, Jenna posted it on her Instagram within an hour with me putting it up on social media. I have no idea where she saw it, but somebody sent it to her, and she saw it and posted it. And then from that point, Jeb Bush Jr. had posted it on his Twitter. So I started hearing from the family at that point. Um, last night, I got an email from President Bush's office requesting copies of the cartoon. I said I would give them the original, so I'm going to mail them an original and um, 25 copies. <laughs> they requested I said, hey, no problem. Uh, that's been pretty powerful. And then the cartoon kind of took on a different life and took on a life of its own, and I started hearing from parents who had lost a child, and that was incredibly powerful. Um, those stories, uh, I'll be really honest with you, uh, have been very emotional and very touching, and that to me is what makes me probably the most proud of this cartoon, about any cartoon I've done in a long time. Are you willing to share what those two other ideas were? Yeah, I could, one of them was a, like a set of pearls, and each pearl had, you know, everything from wit to resilience to, you know, loyalty to all the different things that Barbara Bush was. I mean, I, there was a huge list of them. I'm not looking at it right now. But then at the bottom it said pearls of steel. It's not a bad idea. It's different than, you know, just somebody standing at the gates of heaven. Uh, and the other one was basically her, you know, straightening, you know, all the angels up and getting them, you know, in line because she was the enforcer. That one, that was all right. I mean, it didn't do much for me. But it was one of those deals that I knew I had the idea as soon as I drew it. I just drew two others just to give my editor a choice. Did you think that you would get this type of response? No. No. I mean, you, and it's not that I didn't think the cartoon was good. It's just you don't. You don't really do it for that. I mean, you don't sit there and say, I hope this cartoon gets a lot of hits. Or, And I think, you know, and I knew it would it would do well uh, because usually obit cartoons do pretty well. Nothing like this. And I definitely didn't expect it to take on a second life. I mean, that that has been the pleasant surprise and I think what makes me most proud. So what have you learned personally about this whole situation with the cartoon and the response it's gotten? I learned two things from it. Number one, that the Bush family is very classy and very. Um, I've been very impressed dealing with them. I've got a very nice note from Jenna. I've got a very nice note, you know, from the president's office, and and that's been a, a nice, not a surprise, but it's been a, a good thing. And also, too, like I said, it just makes me want to hug my kids that much tighter and realize how lucky I am that that they're doing well and they're healthy and all that. Ramsey says he's received a lot of positive feedback from the Bush family, national media outlets, and others who've made a personal connection to the message of the drawing. Barbara Bush's funeral is tomorrow in Texas. Mississippi doctor Tyler Sexton is defying the odds. He was born at 28 weeks and has cerebral palsy. Despite the prognosis that he would not see or walk, he has. He is the medical director and chair of pediatrics at Singing River Hospital in Pascagoula. He's also the 2018 chair for the March of Dimes March for Babies in Biloxi on Saturday. He tells MPB's Evelina Burnett why he's passionate about helping moms and babies defy the odds as well. 
March of Dimes came about because it's my life. Uh, as a 28-weeker, March of Dimes is committed to impacting these children, giving the mothers and these babies the best start. They're focused on research. They're focused on making sure that these babies um, with special needs have the best possible care in these NICUs. Uh, and I'm a product of that care. If it weren't for a NICU, if it weren't for the um, donations of people that support March of Dimes, we wouldn't have surfactant. And surfactant saves a lot of babies, for example. And so I have a passion, really, to show people why am I the chair of the March of Dimes is because I'm the doctor with a disability. Why am I the chair of March of Dimes is because I believe uh, in serving these kids uh, and these babies and the mothers and giving these mothers and babies in the midst of tragedy the greatest start and the greatest springboard to dramatically impact their lives. Why I can do it here locally is I like also to show people on a large scale. Sometimes we lose, you know, like March of Dimes being so big. I want to show people that your money goes to a place that actually gets impacted locally, on the local level, here on the South Mississippi coast and, and beyond. And I want people to know that I believe in that. It's, it's more than just words for me. It was a lifestyle. And if it weren't for people's dedication and, and sacrifices, I may not be here today. What is it that you would like the people who attend the march or, or people who are listening to kind of come away with? Well, I want to say thank you, first of all. You know, we talk about you put your passions into action and meaningful change. And you guys, by supporting it financially, by being there physically, you are showing that you believe in a, um, in a banner that we can all get behind. And so I want to say thank you, um, because without that support, uh, we wouldn't be here today. The other thing is, is thank you for engaging. Like I said, for that alone, um, just to be engaged, to, to have fun, and just to, to, to meet people uh, where they're at. I think that that shows um, when you're going through a lot of things, when these parents are in the NICUs all across the country, there's a feeling, a feeling of hopelessness. Your support financially or physically, whatever that may be, to be there shows people that you do care. And that in itself speaks louder than anything else. When you give people hope, that will change your life. Dr. Tyler Sexton. Find out more about the walk to help more babies be born healthy at marchforbabies.org. Mississippi chef Katie Dixon is adding a new title to her recipe for culinary success. The restaurant owner, nutritional planner, and Food Network star is now a judge at the World Food Championship final table. Dixon, along with four other celebrity judges, will determine which of the 10 champions deserves to go home with the $100,000 prize and the ultimate honors at the 6th Annual World Food Grand Champion. Dixon is no stranger to competitive cooking, having performed on Master chef. She tells us when she became interested in cooking. I have always been interested in cooking. I grew up in Brookhaven, Mississippi. My grandparents had a huge farm um, and we would go every weekend. I was the oldest of four kids. My grandmother, um, she would cook three meals a day. And um, so I think it was just instilled in me from a little girl that maybe it wasn't what I wanted to do, but it was just what I did. And then as I got older, I just, her passion for cooking and I think more than anything loving on people through being able to cook for them it just taught me so many more things than just how to cook it taught me communication skills and how to listen and how to feed people's not just their bellies but their their souls so to me cooking is so much more than just food you always hear that that food is about love in my opinion it absolutely is it's a way that I can show other people love and here in the state of Mississippi, people, they always ask me, why are you still in Hattiesburg or why are you still in Mississippi? And I say, at the end of the day, I'm, I'm blessed that I'm able to travel and do what I love. But Mississippi is my roots and it's who I am. And without Mississippi, I wouldn't be where I am today. And I don't want to ever lose touch with that. And I believe that's where my first um, love for the kitchen started was definitely in South Mississippi. How and when did you become a competitor yourself? 
I think I don't really know another way of life. And I think that's one reason in MasterChef, again, it brought back the competition side of things, which pushes me. A lot of people, competition will bring out the worst in people. And to me, it, I remember Chef Ramsey in the kitchen said, why do you smile all the time? And I was like, I feel so blessed to be where I am and to be able to learn from you and from my competition. So I don't look at it as if I want my competition to do bad. I just want to perform better. Now the table is literally being turned and you are a final table judge for the World Food Championship. Tell us what that is. The World Food Championship in itself, it is one of the most unique competitions I've ever been a part of. Usually competitions, like I said, will bring out the worst in people. When I tell you, you walked in a room full of energy and love, the families that were there cheering you on, you had everyone from all different walks of life. And everyone, what they brought to the table was so important and valued. I've never seen such camaraderie amongst, you know, competitors. They truly liked seeing the other competition do their best and was in full support of everyone there. Are there various categories of different food that has to be prepared? Yes, there's different categories of food that each of the winners are coming from. They each won a different category. So one was top chef, one was top seafood, one was top burger. You know, you've got winners from each stage of the competition now coming in to bring their best to the table. Well, Chef Katie Dixon, thank you so much for being with us.